Praise the Lord. He is risen. Okay. So, um, our announcements today are in the bulletin. Uh, so, just review those. Lynn did mention, so if anyone was interested in starting choir this week, we're not going to have practice. So, you guys have to wait another week to join us. Um, and... Um, are there any other announcements? Jessica has a uh, The women's fellowship, I need you 10 minutes after church today for a little meeting. Don't, don't, don't run out quickly. Stay for 10 minutes for me, okay? okay? We still have folks coming in. We're glad to see everyone here this morning. Are there any other announcements? Okay. A big crowd here. Glad to see everybody. Um, so we are, I'm going to go ahead and start with our, uh, scripture this morning, Mark 16, 6 through 8. But the angel said, don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who is crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Look, there is where he, they laid his body. Now go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you before he died. The women fled from the tomb, trembling and bewildered, and they said nothing to anyone because they were frightened. He is risen. Praise the Lord. He is risen.
sit right here today. If it'll reach. Good morning. Good morning. Happy Easter to all of you. Happy Resurrection Sunday. What does that word mean? That's a big word. What does resurrection mean? Coming back from the dead? Well, how do we even know that word in the first place? Because Jesus did it. And that's why we are here today. And we are here every Sunday because Jesus rose from the dead. He resurrected. So why is that important for us? Why do, why do we celebrate it? It's a miracle. Okay. Any other reason? The women went to see. What did, what did they go to see? Yeah. Okay. They went to see Jesus in his tomb, but his body wasn't there. The stone was rolled away because Jesus was alive, and they ran to tell the disciples. And the disciples came to come see what the women said, if it was true. All right, so that's part of the story of the resurrection. So let's think about this. Let's read. I'm going to read to you Romans chapter 8, verse 11. It says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So what does the resurrection mean to us? What's the importance of the resurrection? All right, I'm going to bring out a question, a catechism question that that we, Eddie and his classmates at school, have been talking about this week. And the question says, what does, what does Christ's resurrection mean for us? And the answer is, Christ triumphed over sin and death so that all who trust in him are raised to new life in this world and to everlasting life in the world to come. So that is the importance of the resurrection. When we trust in Christ and believe in him and what he did, dying, living the perfect life, dying for our sins, and the third day raising from the dead, we believe that he has triumphed over sin and death and that all who trust in him will have life in this world and everlasting life in the world to come when he comes back for all of his people. So we have a happy Easter morning, a happy Resurrection Sunday, and we can celebrate. So let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for triumphing over sin and death by raising from the dead. Thank you that we get to celebrate and worship you today and every Sunday together with your people. Please lead us in worship today of you and speak 
through and to Patrick, to your church here at Bear Creek. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And for anyone who may need nursery, I will be down in the nursery after the choir sings. One more quick announcement. Our students yesterday made some resurrection cookies that we are going to hand out to everyone after the service. So look for a smiling little face handing you a little Ziploc bag of cookies that they made yesterday.
Good morning. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to grab them and turn with me to the book of Romans. If you don't have a Bible, as always, you can use a device that you maybe have brought with you that has a Bible app, or there should be a blue Bible on either end of your pew or the pew in front of you. Feel free to grab whatever works best for for you. It is uh, it is Easter Sunday, and this morning I maybe you're haven't been with us for a while, or you're new here, or maybe you've been with us for the last several months, but we've been in the book of Romans now since last July, and I could not have planned, if I wanted to, to arrive at the passage that I've arrived at for Easter Sunday. It is a beautifully appropriate passage where Paul applies the resurrection of Christ to the believer. And so I'm excited that we are here this morning in Romans 8, that we get to study God's Word together and, and see what Paul has written to the church in Rome for our encouragement, for our, for our lives, for us to be assured that we have life because Jesus is alive. So what I want to do this morning is, our focus this morning will be on Romans 8, verses 5 through 11, uh, but I want to go back to Romans 8, verse 1, and start there, and then read to you from 1 through 11. This is what Paul writes. He says, There is therefore now... No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You However, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life. To your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Pray with me. Father, what a what a perfect, glorious day to celebrate a perfect, glorious truth. Our sin condemned in the flesh of Christ on Friday. Our life assured by the empty grave on Sunday. Father, as we come to your word this morning, help us. Help us to see see what you've written. To see what you've inspired Paul to write for us. To be encouraged. To be assured. To be promised of the life that you have given us. That is guaranteed by the Spirit of Christ that dwells 
in each one who believes. May your word go forth and bear fruit, Father. May your word go forth like water on dry land. Not only bearing fruit, but transforming. Transforming what was dead into life. Turning thorn bushes into myrtles. Bringing life where there was once only death. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now whether you you realize it or not, with this morning being Easter Sunday, it is a special day for us to gather together. Because it's a day that not only our church at Bear Creek, but churches all over the world have gathered together today to celebrate the same thing. To celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But in a lot of ways, even though today is a special Sunday, in a lot of ways, it's just like any other Sunday. Because every Sunday we gather, we gather simply because Jesus has been raised. This is why we even meet on Sundays to begin with, because Jesus was raised on a Sunday. And so we gather every week on Sunday to remember, to celebrate, to praise the resurrection of Jesus. But as we have arrived at this particular passage in Romans, here in chapter 8, we are are given this promise. Because Jesus has been raised, you and I, as believers in Christ, have an assurance of blessings, an assurance of life, because Jesus is alive. Because you see, the fact is that Jesus was raised from the dead, and and this fact is not only mean that Jesus has new life. The the resurrection is not only special to those who have been raised, but the resurrection is special. His, His resurrection brings to every single believer the promise of salvation, the assurance of life. If you were with us this morning at our sunrise service, I I made the comment that the resurrection is not just a bonus to the cross. It is not extra where God just went above and beyond what needed to happen. But that the resurrection is in fact everything. That if Jesus has not been raised, then we are fools. That our preaching is in vain. That our faith is in vain. That we are still in our sins. And that we, above all else, are to be pitied here on earth. Because we've believed a lie. But if Jesus has been raised, and we believe and and proclaim to you that yes, in fact, He has been raised, then we have life. Today, tomorrow, and forever. Because Jesus is alive. As we come to this passage, I want want you to see really two truths uh, that Paul lays out in these verses. The first is that there are two, and only two, types of people in this world. There are those who live according to the flesh, and there are those who live according to the Spirit. And the second truth that I want you to see is that if you are one of those who lives according to the Spirit, then you have life. Today, tomorrow, into eternity, you have life because you have the Spirit. And so what I want you to do this morning is is first, as we come and and approach God's words, I, I want you to first consider which type of person you are, which category you fit into, flesh or spirit. And I'll come back and get into what I mean by those by those terms in just a moment. But I want you to be encouraged this morning. I want you to understand the depth of the blessings of Christ because he is alive. This is a passage that that you will see. It has no imperatives. It has no commands. It is not 
Paul or me trying to tell you, change things, do things differently, fix this, don't do that. It's not here. This is simply a passage of promise. This is a passage where Paul points to the believer and he says, this is yours. Period. You have this because you belong to Jesus. It's yours. And so let me begin, as we, as we come to this passage, let me begin with these two types of people. There's those that live according to the flesh and those that live according to the Spirit. And, and before we really dive into what I mean by this, I think it's, it's helpful for us to understand how we as a society tend to view statements like there's only two types of people. We, we view absolute statements like this very cautiously. We don't like it when someone says, you're either this or that, and there's nothing in between. We don't like it. We like to leave room for gray areas. We like to leave room for people riding the fence or trying to find their way in some middle ground. But the reality is, I mean, I I can sympathize with this. I I think that when we talk in an absolute language like this, we often talk without grace and without kindness. We are often very accusatory because you're either in or you're out, and I'm in, but you're out. And, and that language can be very, very damaging. But the reality is that you may be all the way to one side or you may be all the way to the other. Or you may be trying to figure your way out through the middle. At the end of the day, according to God's word, there are only two types of people. And that's it. There are those who live according to the flesh and there are those who live according to the spirit. So let me explain what Paul means by this, how he categorizes these. First, look at verse 5. Because here's where Paul begins this discussion, and he's contrasting these two types of people. He says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. I mean, already you can see there's, there's two types. They don't overlap. They do very different things. They live very differently. They are different. So take those who live according to the flesh first. What do we mean by this? I think what Paul is saying is that this type of person, someone who lives according to the flesh, is someone who is consumed, focused, and set on this physical, flesh-driven, material world. This is someone who, who lives in a way that says, the only thing that truly matters is my life here. The only thing that matters is what I do with the time that I'm given here. The only thing that I'm going to give my life to is what is in front of me here. Because nothing else matters. This, right here in front of us, this is what is important. Let me give you some examples of what this might look like. I think on one hand, it's the employee who says that this job is what makes him valuable. It's where she feels needed. She is used well. She is perfectly suited for this job. She works hard. He, he does everything he can to get his job done. And he works when it's time to work. And he might even stay late when it's, when it's not required. But he, he and she does. They do what is required. Because the job is what matters. The job is important. The job pays the bills. The job is fulfillment. The job is good. It's also the family member who says, my role, what is most important to my life is to love my husband or to love my wife well, to raise our kids, 
to raise our grandkids, to be there for our family, to support them in all that they do, to provide a roof for their heads, to make sure they have clothes on their back and a food, food in front of them at dinner time. That's what's most important. That's what matters. It's the pleasure seeker who says that what matters most is getting the most joy and finding the most happiness in this life. Finding what makes you happy and living in that moment. Whether it's entertainment or physical in nature, whatever satisfies those desires, whatever, whatever makes him find joy, that is what matters most. It's what makes life meaningful. And so they spend their day in pursuit of pleasure. Whether it's physical, whether it's substance, whether it's entertainment, whether it's luxury, whether it's relaxation, it's finding joy, finding happiness, finding pleasure here now. And we could go on with more examples because you can see that it's, it's very wide-ranging. It's really anyone who looks at their life and says, what I do in this moment, in this life, is what matters most right now. And honestly, you may look at those three, that I, those three examples that I just gave you and say, well, those really don't sound that bad. I don't, I don't understand what the problem here is here, Pastor. Why is it a bad thing to love my wife well? Why is it a bad thing to raise my kids and grandkids well? And it's not. You see, what these three things have in common is a mindset and a lifestyle that functionally proclaims to the world that this life is what matters most. This moment is what matters most. This world is what matters most. And when Paul says that they set their minds on the things of the flesh, he doesn't just mean that they think about fleshly things. But when Paul uses the word mind, he is describing the general direction and the general purpose of someone's life. He's talking about the way someone thinks about the world around them. The driving force behind why they do what they do. Why they spend their time the way they spend it. Why they spend their money the way they spend it. Why they, why they do all of it together, incorporated into this one term, mind. Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. They only consider and they only think and they only act and live in line with this world and with this life. Because that's where they are focused. And that's what drives them. That is what motivates them. But to contrast this, Paul says the other type is those who live according to the Spirit. And that they set their minds on the things of the Spirit. You see, things change when someone lives according to the Spirit. They are not consumed anymore with this world, but neither do they stop living in this world. Take take the three examples I just gave you. We'll walk back through them and see how they're different. The employee can still do their job well, can still work really hard, can still occasionally stay after work to make sure the job gets done and to do it the best of their ability do their job well, but their mind is not set on the job itself, but their mind is is set on the Spirit. This is a person who says, the Spirit has given me life. Christ has put me in this job and in this position for this season of life, and so for as long as He has me here, I'm going to do my best so that He is glorified in it. I will work hard and I will do my job so that Christ receives glory for how I work. In the same way, it is the family member who can love their family and raise their kids and love their grandkids, but their mindset is different. This is someone who says, because Christ loved me, I love them. 
Because I love Christ. I want my kids to love Christ. I want to lead my spouse to Christ. I want to point them to His love for them. So you love your husband or you love your wife with the love that Christ has given you. You raise your kids in a, in a manner that points them to success in the kingdom of God more than success in this world. You encourage your grandchildren in the faith, sharing your experience, sharing your wisdom, and yes, even sharing your failures with them. All so that they will be equipped to love and to serve Jesus above all else. The pleasure seeker, likewise, can see the blessings of this world as given and provided by a good father who loves to give good gifts to his children. They can eat a meal and enjoy a meal and say, look how good God is that He gave us good gifts like this. They can enjoy entertainment using discernment. They can use all things in self-control, but all to the praise and the glory of the God who gives them. Because ultimately, the pleasure seeker understands that true joy is not found in this life. But they sing with the psalmist, You make known to me, God, the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Do you see the difference between flesh and spirit? You see, what we're talking about is not changing what you do, but why you do. And for whom you do. Because these two types of people, flesh and spirit, are headed down very different paths that end in very different places. Look at where Paul says they lead. Verse 6. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. I mean, I hope you begin to see that the foolishness of living for this life, living according to to the flesh. You can spend your entire life working hard, raising a family, living it up to the fullest, But what happens at the end? What's it all for? I had a roommate in college who was a lot of fun. We got along really well. But, man, he had a broken mindset for how this world was and what this life was for. And and I I will never forget how he understood what his worldview was. Because he, he believed, and he would tell me this often, that every human being, their life, their purpose, They are, you, human, are like a light bulb. And your job in this life is to burn as brightly and for as long as you possibly can before ultimately the light goes out and you are thrown away. Yay? How do you respond to that? What is the purpose of that? And if this describes you and this describes how you view your life, then let me first apologize to you. Not because I've just critiqued your worldview, but let me apologize to you because that is a sad and sorry state to live in. And I'm sorry that you're there. Because if you view your life as simply nothing more than a light bulb, then what's the purpose of even getting up in the morning? The light's going to go out and then what? The reality is is that you, whether you're a believer or not, you, as a human being, born and created in the image of God, you are more than a light bulb. You are worth more than a light bulb. You have more value than a light bulb, and you have more to give than a light bulb. You're more than that. 
But if you live according to the flesh, ultimately your light will burn out. And you will die, and there will be nothing left to show for it when it's all said and done. But, Paul says, if you live according to the Spirit, you have something different. You have purpose, you have meaning, you live in light of the why, and you have life. Your bulb will never burn out. It may flicker momentarily, but it will come back on. But you see, Paul doesn't stop here in this contrast. He actually takes it even one step further to show the difference between the flesh and the spirit. You see, it's not just that the flesh dies and the spirit lives, but there's a third party involved in all of this, and it's our relationship with God that is on the line here. Look at verses 7 and 8. Paul says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. I mean, Paul doesn't pull any punches here, does he? If you live according to the flesh, if you are setting your mind solely on this life, then your life, your existence, all of who you are, you are hostile to God. You are his enemy. You are a child of wrath. You are a rebel against the king. You are lost. And nothing you do on your own power or in your own strength will ever change that about you. You will forever be his enemy. This is what theologians term total depravity and total inability. You see, when we use terms like total depravity, many of us think that What we're saying is that mankind is as evil as it possibly could get. And we're not saying that. I'm not saying that you, as a human being, are as evil as you possibly could be. That you always choose bad all the time. I'm not saying that. That's that's not what total depravity is. But total depravity is the belief and is the understanding that you, as a child of wrath, as an enemy of God, as a person who lives according to the flesh, you cannot do anything to please God. There's nothing you can do that will make him say, well done. There is nothing you can say that will make him say, good job. Nothing. You can work hard and you can raise a family and you can enjoy life. And even in your best days, when you look and say, I did good today, even in that moment, You are an enemy to God. You are hostile to Him. And therefore, every good deed you ever do is in rebellion against Him. It is to show Him that you don't need Him. That you can do good all by yourself. And the reality is you can't. Because total inability says that this flesh-driven person cannot ever change this about himself or herself. He is completely unable to change, completely unable to obey, completely unable to please or satisfy his creator. Well, if you haven't figured out where I'm going with this, let me here at this point ask. Which one are you? Are you living according to the flesh or are you living according to the spirit? Do you place all of your effort and energy and resources into this life, to being the best person that you can be today, to living the best life you can live now, to getting the most out of this life before time runs out and the light bulb burns out? Or do you live according to the Spirit? 
Do you put Christ before all things and do all things for His name and for His glory? I imagine that if we were sitting in the Roman congregation as they were reading this letter from Paul for the very first time, you could almost hear them sort of stop after verse 8. And the questions could, could begin popping up. Well, well, how do we know, Paul? Which, which one are we, Paul? We don't, we don't understand. We want to be of the flesh. We want to be of the Spirit. We want to follow Christ. We want to live for Him. But how can we know? What are we supposed to do? And if Paul were sitting in that room, he would point to his letter and say, Keep reading. That's what you do. Because then he gets to verse 9. And he says, You, however... You, believer, however. You, Christian, however. You, church, however. You are not of the flesh, but are of the Spirit. I mean, this is the comfort. This is the assurance. This is the hope that Paul gives to the believer. You are not of the flesh. You are of the Spirit. And then he gives three conditional statements, three if statements. To sort of prove, to be the supporting evidence so that you, believer, will know without a doubt you belong to the Spirit of God. And that you live in the Spirit and not according to the flesh. And you have life and not death. You have peace with God and not hostility. You, as a believer in Christ, can please and satisfy God by His Spirit who dwells within you. So how can we know? Look at the three ifs. If number one. If. The Holy Spirit dwells within you. You are not in the flesh. That's what he says in verse 9. You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. It's simple. If you are a believer, if you have placed faith in Christ, in His atoning death, and believe in His resurrection, that if you are resting in His finished work for salvation... You belong to Him. You have His Spirit. And if you have His Spirit, then you have life. This is this, The Spirit works for the believer as a promise, as a, a down payment, or as Paul says in Ephesians, as a guarantee of salvation. He's, Paul writes in Ephesians 1, In Christ, you also, speaking to the church, speaking to the believer, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Again, just like the resurrection is not some added bonus to Good Friday, the Holy Spirit is not an added bonus that some Christians have and some Christians don't. All who believe in Christ are given the Spirit. Because He is the down payment, the foretaste of what we have in the life to come. And He is the guarantee that we will have it. Believer, you have the Spirit. And Paul further backs up and supports this this argument by saying that if you do not have the Spirit, you do not have Christ. The Holy Spirit dwells within each and every single person who has placed faith in Christ, who belongs to Christ. He is the down payment of your eternal life. He is the guarantee of your salvation. If you believe, then you have Him. And if you have the Spirit, you are not of the flesh. If number two, if the Holy Spirit dwells within you, you have life, even though you still sin. 
If the Holy Spirit dwells within you, you have life, even though you still sin. This is what he says in verse 10. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. You see, the temptation that so many of us have as believers is to view our sin as evidence of our condemnation. We say, yes, I believe in Jesus, and and yes, I believe that he died for my sins, but I just can't stop sinning. It is everywhere I go, and it is around every corner that I turn. It is daily part of who I am. And even though I believe, and even though I place faith in Christ, I just don't think it's enough. What if, at the end of the day, God still condemns me for it? And at the risk of repeating last week's message, let me point your attention back to 8 verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Not now, not ever, not ever again will God look at you and say, I condemn you for this. And Paul is saying here in verse 10 that even when you sin, Christian, even though your physical body is still dead because of sin and trapped in brokenness because of sin, the Spirit of Christ who dwells in you gives you life. Yes, your physical body is dead. And yes, you will fail, and you will struggle, and you will fall. But each and every time it happens, the Spirit who dwells within you gives you life because of the righteousness of Christ that is imputed to you through Him. But you see, that's what the Spirit does primarily in the life of the believer. He applies the righteousness of Christ to the unrighteousness of us. He takes the righteousness of Christ from him at the cross and works it into your soul, changing you, transforming you, giving you life. Even though you sin and even though your physical body is dead because of sin, the spirit within you is life because of the righteousness of Christ. See, your life is not dependent on your ability to quit sin. But it rests solely on the finished work of Christ at the cross and the Spirit who applies that finished work to you. If, number three, if the Holy Spirit dwells within you, you will be resurrected to new eternal life. If the Holy Spirit dwells within you, you will be resurrected to new eternal life. He says this in verse 11. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Here's here's why Easter Sunday gives us such great hope for our future. And it may even correct what many of us may possibly believe about what happened in the resurrection. Jesus did not raise Himself from the dead. Let's just... Get, get that out of the way and clear that. Jesus, the Son of God, did not die and then put breath back into his own lungs. He didn't do it. The Father raised the Son from the dead. In light of his sacrifice and in light of his work, the Father said, this is enough. It is finished. And sent the Spirit to give life back to the body of the Son. It was the Father and the Spirit who raised the Son from the dead. And this same spirit that put breath, but that made the heartbeat of Jesus come back. That same spirit that put breath in his lungs after three days of silence 
That same Spirit dwells within you at this very moment, believer. And He will never depart from your body. He will never leave you. He will never abandon you. From now until the end of eternity, that Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells inside of your mortal body. Why would He do that? So that when Christ returns... He can do the same thing to your physical body that He did to Jesus on Easter Sunday. That He's going to take that broken heart that you have that is buried for who knows how long that might even have already turned to dust and ashes. And that Spirit is going to recreate and reform and re-energize and regenerate that broken, once-dead heart into something that will never die again. And He's going to recraft those lungs that work inside of your chest And cause them to inflate and expand and deflate again. He's going to connect all of your bones and your muscles and and reconnect each and every tendon throughout each and every part of your body. He's going to create cells that are living and multiplying and regenerating and producing so that all things will come back to life in what was once dead. You, believer, will live again because the spirit that raised Jesus dwells in you. We may bury you in this very cemetery years from now. But somewhere in the not too distant future, Christ will return. And that spirit that is living inside of you now will bring that dead body back to life. And you will walk out of the grave that we put you in. You have life. Today, tomorrow, forever. You have life. Because of Jesus. I mean, believer, do you, do you see all that you have in Christ? These if statements are not caused to, to, to create doubt or uncertainty in you. Paul does not give these statements to, to raise in the Roman Christians questions of, well, well do I really have the Spirit? Do I, do I really have this life? Am I really going to live forever? I'm not sure, Paul. That's not what he's doing at all. These if statements aren't questions for doubt. These if statements are assurances. If the shoe fits. See, Paul's not telling the believers to make sure you have this or to make sure you have the Spirit, to be certain of this. He is saying, if you are in Christ, if you believe the gospel, this is yours. You have it. Sam Albury says, as a Christian, you really have been given a new heart. You really have been given a new mindset. You are now ultimately driven by the Spirit. Christian, that includes you. Frail you, failing you, messed up you. And just as those in the flesh tend to think, well, I'm not, so many of us who are in the Spirit tend to think, that's not true of me. It can't be. And Paul is saying to the believer, you are. You are new. You are someone in whom the Spirit of Jesus dwells, And what is deepest in you is of Jesus. This is who you are. You see, it's not a question of changing what you're doing or to stop living in the flesh. Not yet. Paul will get there. But what Paul is saying here in Romans 8 is, Believer, you are a miracle. So many times we fall into the trap that we're just not good enough Christians. That we haven't been changed enough. That we continue to fail and we live as though we're waiting for something more to take place in us. For some deeper change to take hold. But 
this is not what Paul is saying. It is not what the gospel says. You see, it's not that Christ has brought about a change in you, but that he has brought about a change of you. You're not waiting for a greater change to take place because it already has happened. You are not who you used to be. You are new. You are transformed. You are no longer in the flesh. Your mind is not set on the things of the flesh, but you are of the Spirit. And your mind is set on the things of the Spirit. All that you are and all that you do is now different because of Christ. And the greatest blessing of all of this is that you now, you who were once dead in your sin, you are now alive because of Jesus by His Spirit. Christ, you have life. And you do have Christ, believer. And if you have Christ, then there will never be a time in your life where God will condemn you for your sin. He already did that in the flesh of Jesus. He did what the law could not. He condemned your sin in the flesh of His Son. And now you have life because you have the same Spirit that raised His Son from the dead. Dwelling inside of you. Applying this work to you. Making you new. Today, as a church, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. He is alive and He is risen indeed. Yes and amen. But because He is alive, because He is risen, having condemned your sin in His flesh, His Spirit now dwells in each of you who believe this word. And this Spirit will give you life today, tomorrow, and in the future resurrection. His death has sealed your pardon, and His resurrection has sealed your life. And you, believer, have life in Christ. And if you have life in Christ, then live. Live in Christ. Celebrate the gifts of the Father by enjoying the things that He gives you here, today, tomorrow, in this world. But understand that it is from His hand. And praise Him for the things He gives you. If you have a family... Then belong to your family and love them well and serve them well. But the best way to love your family is to point them to Jesus. To praise Jesus in their presence so that they will see the beauty and the wonder and the life-giving power that His Spirit has had in you. If you have a job, then do it well. But work it for the glory of Jesus who gives you life. Who puts you where He does for His purposes and for His glory. Set your mind on the things of the Spirit. Do all things for the glory of the one who has set you free from sin and death. Do all things for the glory of the one who gives you life. Because life you have, it is yours. All because of Jesus. Pray with me. Father, we are thankful and grateful for Easter. What a a blessing it is have life, to know that you have been raised, King Jesus, to know that this is, this is for the believer the closest to hell that we will ever get. God, give us, give us these assurances, remind us of these blessings, write them on our hearts that we may know without a doubt that you do not condemn us that you give us life. And as we come to the table as your people and as the body of Christ, we come celebrating, rejoicing, 
praising the one who died so that we may live. And the one who lives so that we may live forever. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I'm going to go ahead and ask the elders who are helping us with communion to come come forward and and prepare the table. Um, As they are coming and and doing this, let me just give you a a brief word of instruction. Here at Bear Creek, we do this every week, but on Easter we're doing things a little bit differently. Um, And so the way that we'll do it is we'll have Bill and Steve, who are two of our elders here, they will serve, serve communion here at the front. So I'll invite you, when it's time, to come down this middle aisle Come in and they'll give it to you and then file back to your seats on the, on the edges. With that being said, a couple of, of caveats, I guess you can call it. If you're here this morning and you are not a believer in Christ, if you have not placed faith in Jesus for salvation, if you are not resting in the finished work of Calvary and, and have hope in the resurrection from the dead, then let me just briefly speak to you. This table is not for you. This table will do nothing for you. It is not for you. It is simply bread and grape juice. And so if that's you, I I would just ask you to remain in your seat as as we come forward and take the table. But as you remain there, let me encourage you to consider the things that have been said. That you are without hope in the flesh. That you are broken. That you are a child of wrath, an enemy of God. But God has made a way for you to no longer be his enemy but to be called his son, to be called his daughter, to belong to him, to have no more condemnation and to now have life. If that's you and you want to talk more about it, I would love to talk to you about it after church today. If you're here and you are a believer, you may be a member here at Bear Creek, you may not be. Either way, it's good to be in the presence of believers, to worship and celebrate the resurrection together. And so believer, let me give you a a quick word of instruction. As you come and as you take the bread, remember. Remember your sins. Remember what they cost. Because in the bread, we are reminded of the physical body of Christ that was broken for this sin. And then as you take the cup, I want you to remember. Remember the future. Remember what's coming. Because though Jesus died on Friday, Sunday came. And though one day you and I and everyone in this room will one day taste death, Our own Easter Sunday, our own resurrection morning will come. And we pray and we wait and we cry out anxiously, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And we raise our glasses to the King. Let me pray for us and then we will come forward and have and share this meal together. God, what a a blessing it is to share communion with the saints. To partake and to be reminded of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Receive glory and honor and praise as your people come forward and share this meal together. And God, we look forward to the day that you send our King to us and we get to share this meal with him. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.
God is good. We're going we're gonna to stand and sing our, our closing hymn together this morning. It is a, a song of hope and joy for the future. It is hymn 447, Because He Lives. Will you stand and sing with me? Life is worth the living because he lives.
as we close our, our service this morning, we'll close it as we do every, every Sunday morning by saying aloud the Great Commission together. Church, this is what you are called to go and do, to go and make disciples, to go and tell someone this week, today, tomorrow, Jesus lives, and to teach them what he has commanded us. And so I invite you, church, it's in the bulletin if you need to see it to read along. Say the Great Commission aloud with me. And Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Go in grace.